Hello and welcome to a long-delayed 2017 version of the Evolution Medicine Podcast. I am your host, Joe Alcock. And for first-time listeners, I am an emergency physician coming at you from the University of New Mexico uh, in Albuquerque, where I take care of patients with critical illness and sepsis and many who are not quite so sick uh, in my role as an academic emergency physician. I also teach evolutionary medicine to my trainees and to students, and this podcast is a combination of all of my interests, and the topic that I'm going to talk about today is one which is near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, this idea of sepsis, that we can come up with a silver bullet treatment that is going to turn off the harmful immune response in patients with sepsis. What is sepsis, you ask? Well, that is a multi-system infection that oftentimes involves uh, bacteria that can be identified in the bloodstream. Uh, Patients will sometimes go on to multi-organ failure, and it has a pretty high mortality. So numbers from North America have ranged anywhere from 20 to 40% historically, although that number is going down in the United States. And the mortality is 60% for this serious condition in uh, worldwide, especially in underdeveloped places. So why do I bring this topic up? Well, there was a paper that was highlighted in NPR recently. So so National Public Radio or NPR on their website, they had a, uh, a feature that talked about a recent study in which some critical care doctors from Norfolk, Virginia, gave their patients a cocktail of medication, uh, medications and vitamins. The medication was hydrocortisone, which of course is a glu- glucocorticoid that reduces the immune response, and they gave uh, vitamin C along with uh, some other agents. So in this series, and this is an observational trial where they compared it to the previous mortality rate, and they, they showed that uh, the patients that got this new cocktail had a very, very low mortality. Uh, it reduced their, their, their risk um, of death uh, substantially, uh, and most of the patients that received the cocktail went on to not get the multi-system organ failure, didn't require a bunch of medications to keep their blood pressure normal, et cetera, et cetera. So what do I think about this paper? I will, I will have to say that I, I come at this with kind of a mixed point of view. So first off, I have in previous papers and blog entries and really since kind of the beginning of my medical career, I've always been interested in this idea of sepsis. And one of the first things that I learned about when I opened up the Tintinale textbook, which is one of the classic textbooks in emergency medicine, this is back when I was in medical school, even before I had decided on my specialty, I loved uh, that textbook and I loved uh, reading about the ways in which we care for uh, sick patients. And I think that that, that uh, that textbook by Judith Tentinelli, uh, the editor on uh, emergency medicine, was one of the more thoughtful textbooks, and it really, really gave some thinking behind why we treat people the way that we do. And the paper, I'm sorry, the, the, this, this is this is back in the '90s, all right. And I'm reading this this textbook, and it's it uh, said that 
that leukocytes, and in particular neutrophils, and the immune response was heavily involved in sepsis. So the white blood cells seemed to be out of control, running amok, causing problems, damaging tissues, causing platelets to aggregate, damaging blood vessels, making the organs fail. And wouldn't it be lovely if we just had something we could do to, to tamp down the this neutrophil or white blood cell run amok? And it proceeded to list all of the interventions that have been tar that targeted white blood cells to date, and including ibuprofen, for instance, and all of the agents, including ibuprofen, that have been used to reduce white cell activity in sepsis had failed in people, even if the promising work had been done in a, in a petri dish and cell culture or uh, in an animal model. It just didn't work in people, and so the uh, that little passage concluded by more or less saying that. Um, Maybe something is wrong with uh, our our targeting of white blood cells, and this is this is this is I think an insight which has taken a very long time to to seep into medical culture because it's easier for us to think that really the body is kind of consuming itself and injuring itself and going running amok and causing the problems that we see with sepsis. And Sir William Osler, back in 1913, wrote that. It's not so much the invading organism that causes problems. It is the body's response to the organism. And so maybe even this idea existed before William Osler, uh, but he really introduced the idea that uh, when it comes to these very serious conditions, uh, it's not the pathogen. It's not the infection. It really is the body uh, attacking itself. Even when we, when we read about the recent epidemic of Ebola in Western Africa. Uh, it was argued that Ebola isn't so much the virus causing the problem as the body's response. So this is, this is an ingrained concept. And so if that's what you believe is going on in sepsis, then of course it stands to reason that the way you fix sepsis is you just downregulate that pesky immune response. And we, we use a biologic modifier of some response to, to make things better. So in a previous podcast, I talked about Zygris, which was one of, uh, Actually, it was sort of a late entry in a series of mo immune modulating trials that they thought worked in early trials. But when it really came down to it, a large scale randomized control trial proved uh, for once and for all that that it did not work. And others have pointed out that maybe there's something wrong with our with our thinking process with sepsis overall in that maybe it really isn't a hyper immune response and maybe maybe doing throwing things at our immune system is not the right way to go about treating patients with septic shock. So here we have Paul Merrick and his colleagues arguing for hydrocortisone, which is a uh, glucocorticoid, which is aimed at downregulating immune responses. Is this going to work? I'm just going to plant a flag right here and say that if this cocktail works, which I'm highly skeptical of, it's not going to be because of the hydrocortisone. We have had, we've had, had enough experience with sepsis to know that immune modulators simply haven't worked in the past. The fact or the idea that it's going to work this time um, is pretty unlikely. I think that just, you know, if you take out in any evolutionary reasoning from this, that's the conclusion that, that one would take away from this. So, what do we make of sepsis from an evolutionary standpoint? Well, I have in previous podcasts, blog entries, uh, a 
a couple of the publications that, that, that are out there, I have argued that uh, maybe the responses that we're seeing during sepsis, like fever and like increased white blood cell count, uh, perhaps even the changes that we see in mobilizing immune responses, that these really are an all-out effort that is likely adaptive in helping the body cope with the infectious challenge. And the fact that we've not been able to make it better with any kind of silver bullet therapy that tamps down some immune response, that is evidence that this is likely to be an adaptive, quote-unquote, functional response of the body. So what about the second part of the paper published in CHEST that was highlighted in NPR. Well, this looks at giving vitamins. And I have to think that we've tried all sorts of different nutritional strategies in sepsis uh, with varying degrees of success. And the track record for using vitamins in illnesses that we care about, be it cancer, heart disease, uh, atherosclerosis, etc., that the the rationale for giving vitamins has been eroded by uh, an increasing accumulation of negative evidence. So I, in my evolutionary medicine class, I have challenged my students to go to the literature and many of them take vitamins by probably just like the general population. People like to take vitamins and there's this idea that we can take some micronutrient and it's going to do good things for us. But is there any r real evidence that that is the case? And I think that there's a, a pretty good rationale for not giving vitamins under most conditions. And in fact, the vast majority of trials, when we've looked at uh, human trials for giving vitamins on a regular basis to prevent uh, chronic diseases, and even in, in the setting of some acute diseases, the rationale for using vitamins or the evidence for vitamins just doesn't exist. So is, is vitamin you know, therapy going to be the way to go for sepsis? Maybe. But again... The track record just isn't there for, for vitamins. So the rationale for, for giving both of these things is, is on pretty thin and shaky ground. Now, does this mean that just because it hasn't worked before means it's not going to work this time? Again, I'll plant, I'll plant the flag here and I'll, I say I'm going to make a prediction here. Based on my understanding of sepsis and the way that evolution has shaped our bodies and our body's responses, I think it's very unlikely that an immune-modulating agent like hydrocortisone in combination with vitamins is going to make people better. But I, listen, I hope that I'm wrong because if we find something that does work, we will follow the evidence and that will, that will be another interesting avenue to pursue. So why would it be that this combination would work when everything else has not worked? And I have to criticize also the idea of using a combination therapy, especially for sepsis, because people have looked at this before. People have been trying different things with sepsis for, for a long time. And there was this flurry of interest around using a combination therapy called early goal-directed therapy for sepsis, in which a bunch of things were tried all at once to try to normalize different features of the body's response to sepsis and try to make things back in the normal range, like hemoglobin, uh, venous pressure, um, heart rate, uh, etc. And it, that was done in combination with a immune-modulating agent, Zygris, that not only did Zygris not work, but the combination therapy also didn't work. And one by one, each of the little interventions that was part of the combo therapy fell away. So the rationale for doing the combination therapy really came under fire. There were three very large-scale trials recently 
looked at in a systematic review published in the New England Journal, and lo and behold, they found out that this combination therapy for sepsis didn't work. So in, with that background, with the recent failure of combination therapy to work, why are we doing another combination therapy for this polymeric trial? Why not try just one thing? And then, because ultimately, if they do have success, and if they do show that some something works here, then the follow-up will have to be to find out, well, what is the agent that works? Is it the vitamin? Is it the vitamin C? Or is it the hydrocortisone? We'll see. It seems to me that this is a failed avenue of research that really needs some new thinking. And if there is going to be a rationale for doing a new treatment for sepsis, we should really approach this from an evolutionary point of view. And I, I need to insert this important caveat that I'm not saying that the body's response is always optimal for any given infection. I'm just saying it's been shaped by evolution over millennia, probably predating the advent of human beings because a lot of our responses to sepsis are conserved. We see them in other, other vertebrates, uh, perhaps even sharing some responses with invertebrates. So all the this legacy of evolution has made it so that some responses that we might perceive to be maladaptive or harmful are likely to, be, to have been harmful on average in a historic environment. Does that mean that everything that happens in our bodies is adaptive? Of course not. But what I suspect is that this is going to be an area of uh, uh, increased emphasis on personalized medicine. So for any given individual, any parameter that we happen to measure may not be optimal for that individual and for their current condition and for the pathogen challenge that, that they're, that they're facing. And so, but the idea that we can do a single intervention that tries to shift things in one direction for everybody, the likelihood that's going to work is just now implausible given our history of spending probably billions of dollars on sepsis trials. So probably we're going to need to do different things for different patients, but the jury's out on that. Even that proposal hasn't been shown yet. So sepsis remains really interesting. I want uh, people to pay close attention to this. I've made, I've made my prediction. My prediction is that despite very, very promising results in the, the non-randomized trial that they have uh, detailed in this um, chest article that got a lot of press in NPR and other media outlets, I'm saying right here that it's probably not going to work. If it does, I will, I will love to be wrong. I would love to have another uh, treatment option in my, in my armamentarium to treat these sick patients. And who knows, maybe I'll get sepsis someday, and it would be lovely if we had something besides antibiotics and fluids that really worked. So with that, I'm going to call it quits for today. This is a relatively short episode, but just something to get the ball rolling on the Evolution Medicine podcast. There will be entries weekly, and I think this topic of sepsis is likely to come back. I do want to talk a little bit about my recent lecture that I gave at the American Association of Anatomists as part of the Experimental Biology Conference held last month in Chicago, Illinois, because there were some other, other uh, topics that came up in sepsis in which we have some data uh, from a cohort series at the University of New Mexico that really, again, challenged the idea that we should be normalizing our patient values. So interesting stuff. I love this topic of sepsis. I think this is one of the areas where evolution might have 
a great deal to inform our both our practice and our research agendas. So I'll catch you next week. Uh, please check back for another episode of the Evolution Medicine Podcast.